Hello, bonjour from Chamonix, France. Welcome to the Pillars Podcast. I am your host, Dylan Bowman, and it is our last day here in this mountain paradise after 10 incredible days enjoying this year's UTMB. I can actually still hear people cheering for runners still streaming to the finish line now. Greatest race in the world. And today, my friend and occasional co-host, Corinne Malcolm, joins me to break down the action from the week. We spend most of our time on the UTMB race, but we also discuss some of the other storylines from other races. We talk about, obviously, the victories of Francois Dane and Courtney DeWalter and their historical contexts. We talk about the massive attrition of the race, the continued struggles of American men here at the world's most important race, the UTMB. I hope you all enjoy this conversation. If you appreciate what we do here at Pillars, we would certainly appreciate you supporting us either on Patreon or becoming part of our great community on the Pillars training app, where we endeavor to innovate the coaching model in our sport while building friendships and supporting one another on our journeys as trail runners. You can find links to both those opportunities to support what we do in the show notes of this episode. Uh, Nothing much else to say here at the beginning. Thanks to everyone who joined us on the live coverage this week. It was so fun. I hope you're not sick of us yet because we are back here on the pod to break it down even more. Please welcome the ultra encyclopedia, the great Corinne Malcolm. Okay, broadcasting live from the heart of Chamonix, France. It's the day after the UTMB. I'm completely wrecked. My voice hurts. I'm joined, of course, by my great friend and colleague, Corinne Malcolm. We're going to break down the action of the week. Corinne, good morning. How are you feeling? Good morning. I was reflecting before we got on the podcast today, on the video today, about the fact that I think you are the only person I've really spent time with this week, and it feels really weird. No kidding. Usually, when I get to Chamonix, I'm able to adventure most of the day, or at least enjoy a race myself. This year was different. It was an endurance event of a different kind. You and I, again, had the pleasure to call the action of OCC, CCC, and UTMB, and we're going to spend most of our time on UTMB and maybe talk a little bit about those other races as well. But first, I think it's most appropriate to just start with where the week started. It started on a somber note. Corinne, just remind everybody what happened in TDS, the significance of it, and how it impacted the whole week. Yeah, so the week got off to kind of a rocky start, I think, for everyone. I mean, the performances at the front of TDS were phenomenal to follow, but Wednesday morning, really, really early in the morning, there was an an incident out on course that unfortunately cost the life of a young Czech runner. And you know, it, it changed TDS that kind of caused a kerfuffle in the middle of the week, as far as like getting people safely off of the course while letting some of the race continue. But this runner's spirit was carried through every single race this week. They recognized him at the starts of OCC and CCC and UTMB. One of his friends read a super moving dedication at the beginning of UTMB before the start of the elite wave at 5 p.m. on Friday. And I think we were all in tears. It was beautiful, beautiful. And so, you know, it's one of those things where tragedy happens in the mountains. It's inescapable at times, but 
to, to watch the race embrace his spirit and watch the runners embrace his spirit and dedicate races to this individual, which we saw this week, I think speaks to the love of the community and the love of the mountains and the love of what we do. So I think the races moved forward smoothly, but he was on everyone's minds as we rolled into the rest of the race week. No doubt a tough way to start the week, but as you said, even though it was tough circumstances, it did bring everybody together. And that is one of the things that we all love so much about the community is that we do band together in tough times. And that was the feeling in town this week. And uh, that reading before the start of UTMB was incredible. So our thoughts go out to our Czech listeners and the Czech ultra runners uh, who were here this week. And uh, yeah, definitely we will all learn from this experience and we will all be better for it. But Corinne, I think we should transition now to lighter subject matter. And I think we should spend the bulk of our time here talking about the big race, the UTMB. And maybe if we have time at the end, we'll talk a little bit about TDS, OCC, and CCC. But UTMB was one for the ages this week. It's always one of the most exciting, dramatic races every year. It's always the most competitive race every year. This year was no different. Where do we even start? I think we should probably start with the women's race where we saw potentially one of the greatest performances in ultra running history from the great Courtney DeWalter, the great American ultra runner from Leadville, Colorado. Corinne, what are your reactions? So I spent a lot of time this week talking about how Courtney was not satisfied with her 2019 result. And she won. She won the 2019 edition of this race. And so people are going to be like, how is she unhappy with that win. And it wasn't the win so much as what she was able to get out of herself on the course. She struggled a lot in the 2019 race and still pulled off a win. win. So to see her do what she's actually capable of on this course blew everyone away, blew the records away, blew the men's field away. She finished seventh overall, tying the best ever female overall result since Rory Bosio in her 2013 then course record performance. So again, Courtney ran two hours faster than in 2019 in a time of 22.30, I want to say. Yeah, 22.30. Absolutely incredible. So Rory Bozio ran 22.37 on a course that we speculate is about 45 minutes faster. So the fact that Courtney was able to get under Rory Bozio's time, which itself is one of the greatest performances in ultra running history, It's just absolutely mind-blowing, complete dominance from the American Courtney DeWalter. And of course, Corinne, as we know, Courtney was coming off a disappointment at the Hard Rock 100 where she DNF'd. How do you think that impacted her psychology and her physical fitness? But here's the thing. I don't know that Courtney views DNFs as these big rattling disappointments. Mm -hmm. Um, We saw when she won in 2019, she DNF'd Western States that year due due to an an injury. She DNF'd Hard Rock this year due to it sounded like stomach issues that she just wasn't willing or couldn't overcome. They're hard. It's it's hard in the middle of the night to decide if it's worth like pushing on when you feel that, that crummy. So I don't know that it rattled her. She went back to the drawing board. She tweaked her nutrition. She came into this with a game plan. We've seen her have eye problems in races in the past where she's gone, like it's called like ultra blindness, yep. um, which actually Tom yeah, Owens. are using the eye drops basically in every aid station throughout the race. Yeah. And there were runners in, in the race this week who experienced that as well. Tom mm. Owens came off the course oh, really? because he couldn't see in Cormier. Mm. Actually, Holly didn't believe him. 
Wow. And then Robert went to go check on him and he's like, no, Holly, he can't, he can't see. Wow. So yeah, we saw Courtney using eye drops at every aid station. She went into the night with clear glasses on. Yep. Uh, Beth Pascal did the same thing in, in part to protect their eyes running through a super windy, cold night. So I don't think the DNF rattled Courtney. I think she's had confidence in her fitness going into hard rock and it just didn't work out. And so, you know, she reset and came back here. She doesn't spend a lot of time here. She gets in, you know, race week, generally speaking, yep. and rolls right into the race. It's this very casual demeanor in a lot of ways. Um, but I think it works for her. I don't I don't think it rattled her. That's my yep. take on it. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, obviously, everybody who knows Courtney, one of the things we all love about her is that she doesn't take it crazy seriously. It doesn't seem like she carries this crazy uh, sense of pressure, even though she is the best in the world. And she does come in with sort of a playfulness and so hard rock, even though I'm sure it was disappointing, likely for a person of her disposition, wasn't completely shattering, but more so, it was a great 100K training run at altitude in the 100%. mountains in Colorado that set her up perfectly for the final training block leading into UTMB, where she came in and absolutely smashed it, winning by an hour and 40 minutes. And to put that in context, Courtney was only an hour and 45 minutes behind Francois Dane, the men's winner of UTMB. So that, of course, means that Courtney was as close to the men's leader as the second place woman was to her. An absolutely dominating performance from Courtney DeWalton. Yeah, incredibly impressive. And she led from the gun. She led up the climb out of Lazouche. She led Mimi Kotka for most of the race. Mm -hmm. um, and Mimi, you know, like the, the elastic broke at some point and, and Courtney's lead became more and more and more insurmountable to anyone behind her. Yep. You know, the, the story is that Courtney led from the gun. She did her own thing and she worked her way up through the men's race. We watched her in 20th yep. and then 18th and then 16th and then 10th. And we we're like, holy cow, she's going to be top 10. She was as high as sixth place, yep. only 30 minutes behind the fifth place male at that point. She was overtaken by the sixth place male ultimately before they made their way into Chamonix, but it gave them both their own finishes as well. They ended up being spread out just enough. And actually that finisher, his interview at the finish line was, all about Courtney, right? Yeah. Like Let's how, impre how impressive she was, yeah. and that she was about to finish. And so I thought that was a really cool yeah. way for that was Courtney Hannes Namberger, the German athlete who finished sixth place, recent Lavaredo champion, a great athlete in his own right, doing battle with Courtney DeWalter in the late miles of the race. You mentioned Mimi Kotka; her finish was incredible to watch. She went to the depths of the well. Of course, finishing third, Camille Bruyas, French athlete, finishing second, somebody who a lot of people consider to be sort of the future of female running here in the European circuit. Any other reactions from Camille, uh, Mimi, or any further down the uh, women's top 10? Yeah, I mean, I thought Camille's performance was really impressive. She ran a really steady race and ultimately overtook um, Mimi, I think in Valorcine, so kind of in that final 50K stretch. She is young. I think she's 29, if I'm not mistaken, but she's had a really good season and she's been in ultra running for a number of years now. So I think we're going to see more and more from her. I think she was, they were all overwhelmed at the finish line. Like they had put it all out there and I don't think she expected to be second. Um, but she, she wasn't, she was never, you know, that far back. She ran steadily within the middle of the top 10 yep. from the beginning. She ran with Beth Pascal for a long time before um, their split. I think she actually ran with, maybe it was Marion, the ultimate fourth place finisher for a long time as well, fellow Frenchman or Frenchwoman rather. Yep. Um, and then I will say that watching Mimi's finish, we had a camera on her from Cafe La Floria 
all the way into town and you could see that every single step hurt. You it could, was, it was, yeah. It was, it was an incredibly emotional The type of finish experience. where you really feel for the runner, where you're like, wow, that person has discovered the limit. So shout out to Mimi Kotka, very hard fought third place finish here. Corinne, one other thing from the women's race that uh, was definitely rattling in my brain as we witnessed Courtney DeWalter have such an incredible run. And then also considering Francois Dane's victory six weeks after the Hard Rock 100 was what was going through Sabrina Stanley's brain during this oh, race? Man. Oh my goodness, Sabrina Fire. Stanley, of course, also the Hard Rock champion, just like Francois, decided to not start the UTMB this week, feeling that she just wasn't up to another 100-mile challenge this year. Uh, but of course, Francois was able to pull it off, and we witnessed Courtney DeWalter put on one of the greatest performances in the history of ultra running, as we just mentioned. What do you think Sabrina Stanley's thinking and how do you think uh, her mindset is going to be set up for the 2022 race where I'm certain she's going to be focusing on it hundred percent. So I sent Sabrina a text Friday morning as CCC was getting underway. And I said, Hey, let the next 24 hours light the fire for the next year. And so we took inspiration from Abby Hall's finish in CCC, our teammate, our fellow American, fighting for the entirety of the race, but also the like witnessing what was happening out on the UTMB course. And she's she's excited. We're all excited. I think <laughs> I think you can't be here experiencing these races without every every single female runner I've talked to here from the U.S. who is you know who's ru who's running at the professional level. They're all like. I'm ready to take this more seriously. Yep. That was the takeaway from every single runner I've talked to. They're all like, how can I do more? Yep. And so I think that is very indicative of what this week holds. And Sabrina is just, is part of that group as well. She got invaluable experience from witnessing UTMB, witnessing how the race pans out, getting to see parts of the course, getting to watch you know, how the crowds interact with the runners and what the experience of being here on race week is like, mm -hmm. because coming into that blind could be really rattling. Yep. And so I think that this entire, she's been here for a month I think now. It's, I, I think, think it's, it's going to be good. I think it's perfect for her. Perfect also for Caitlin Gerben, who in my mind represents the future of female ultra running at the highest level coming out of the U S at least. And both of them were here. They got to experience the race. They got to witness these athletes performing at the highest level at the rate at the world's most important event. They were crewing their teammates and friends along the way. So that is invaluable experience for both Caitlin Gerben and Sabrina Stanley, who I sure hope step to the starting line in 2022. Corinne, let's transition to the men's race. Oh my goodness. Francois Dane pulled it off. <laughs> You know, leading into the race, the past six weeks, as somebody who also recently finished the Hard Rock 100, I couldn't stop thinking, how is it possible that he could potentially win this race and continually having to remind myself that you cannot doubt this man and he proves it once again. He is the greatest long course mountain ultra runner in history, securing his fourth victory. Corinne, any reactions from Francois? I mean, my reaction to the men's field is, wow, France really showed up. Just in general, just as everyone knows, the French men took spots one through five. Okay. I don't think that's ever happened, let alone a sweep one through five. 
that is a whole lot of the top 10. So I think that, yes, Francois's performance was incredible, but it was just like this wave of a wave of runners and a very interesting performance overall. I think that Francois's time, I don't know that he had to go to the well is my take. I don't, I don't think given the course conditions, we do know that they had a hard night talking to runners after the fact that it was cold out there at times. It was hard to see at times. I, I had dinner with um, Emily Hoggood super late last night after she finished her UTMB and it was, it was not easy, but the course was in good conditions and the daytime was in good conditions. So it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know that Francois had to go to the well for that win. And so it's like, it's hard in the context of the whole race. I don't, he should have run faster. Yes, honestly. I, I, I mean, think, when we I look at the times, times aren't that fast. you look at the times from OCC, you look at the times from CCC, you look at Courtney DeWalter's time and it's just clear that, you know, the conditions this week were perfect. I would have expected the men's winner to go much faster than Francois did. There, of course, was lots of attrition in the race, which we'll get to here on both sides momentarily. But I mean, of course, we're not taking anything away from Francois. He ran the race that he needed to, to secure the victory. And yes, Corinne, as you mentioned, the top five men, Frenchmen putting on an absolute clinic here. The French on the men's side, clearly right now have the deepest, most talented number of great athletes in the sport right now. Francois, of course, being at the top of that list, securing his fourth victory. He also has four victories at the Diagonal de Fou, so two impressive. victories at the Madeira Island Ultra, the John Muir Trail FKT, the GR20 FKT. He is just nearly impossible to beat on terrain like this when the distances are long and there's a lot of vertical climbing and descending. He's just the best. He's the best of all time. I think the fourth, it being the fourth win really solidifies his greatness. Not to say that that was necessary to solidify his greatness in our sport, but I do think it's a very important part of it all. Um, but yeah, I don't think the times were as fast. And I think it's, here's, here's the thing. There was attrition in both races, but there's always attrition in both races. And I don't think it's not fair to say, oh, your top 10 doesn't matter because there was attrition. Of course. Because they still had to fight their way through over 100 miles around Mont Blanc, running through the night, all of that kind of stuff. Yep. Right? There's a, quite a bit of a spread between first and 10th in both the men's race and the women's race, more so in the women's race. But it's one of those things where it's like, what happens if we could get more people yep. past Cormier? No kidding. I mean, we, we should talk about the attrition now then. I was expecting we would get to it uh, in a few minutes, but this I think is another story of the race as it has been the past three editions of the race. And it is unfortunate to see so many athletes not be able to make the full circumnavigation of the mountain and arrive back here in Chamonix. Uh, but that's definitely one of the storylines of the race. In 2017, the year that I ran it, there was almost no attrition. And that has sort of been the anomaly, at least in the past handful of years here at UTMB. And especially the last three editions, we've seen so much of the professional men's and women's fields succumb to DNFs out on the course. Any uh, reactions to that? Obviously, we need to talk about the Americans in in uh, particular here. Um, but you know, any names that come to mind that uh, didn't make it around the mountain, who you know you were expecting more of, or who you know um, dealt with uh, unique challenges out on the course. Yeah. So when we look at who started the race for the U.S., the notable drops. I mean, include Jim Walmsley, Tim Tolfson. 
on the men's side, um, on the women's Tim Frerichs, Tim Frerichs on the men's side, on the women's side, we've got, um, Brittany Peterson, uh, ended up dropping Hillary Allen ended up dropping Kelly Wolf, Kelly Wolf ended up dropping. And it, one of those things where it's like some of these athletes, I'm not sure if they went in with the intention maybe to, I think some people go in with, the, okay, here's the big thing with UTMB. This yeah. is, this is kind of the overarching theme. I think, cause I think it explains why some of these athletes end up dropping. I think people go into UTMB thinking it's their focus race, but then doing races or doing training in the buildup to it that does not actually match that, does not actually say, hey, this is my focus. Yep. They race Western States. They race Hard Rock, whatever it might be. They race Lavaredo. Maybe that's an easier double. But it's one of those things where it's like, if this is your focus race, you have to come ready for it. And I think a lot of people get on the start line independent of being ready for it. We saw that with Mimi Kotka. She got to the finish line and the first question said, hey, like, how was it out there? And her response was, I had no, no business, business running 100 this weekend. Yeah. And I think that's the field. Oftentimes we come into this race with no business yep. running a hundred. And so we get to Cormier, we get past Cormier. You get to Cormier, you're not going to see your crew until Champaign-Lac. Yep. That is a long way to go well, you if leave, you're not feeling you, good. Yeah, and you leave Lake Contamine, you don't see your crew for another four or five hours till Cormier or two. And so you really do go out into the night all on your own. And if you're compromised in any way in a field of this caliber on terrain this difficult, it is hard to make it to the finish line. It's daunting. Of course. It's daunting to make right. it to the finish line. And, but I think your point is is really well made in that there's a lot of athletes who come here to UTMB thinking it's their focus race, but also doing things in training and in other competitions that leave them a little bit too banged up to come to a course like this. One of my biggest learnings from the Hard Rock 100 and something Ryan and Harmony and I have been talking about this morning is just the importance of being super fresh for races like this. You really have to arrive at a race of this caliber and of this difficulty against this level of competition with a deep sense of being rested. Obviously, we all need to be fit as well. But when you come in only eight or nine weeks after going through a 100-mile experience at Western States, a totally different racing experience for at least Jim Walmsley and Tim Tollefson, but then also Brittany Peterson, Beth Pascal, Ragna DeBots, um, DeBots, Audrey Tangi. Yep. We had a lot of those people in there, and I think it's one of those things too. So you got that, or you have people who it's like, they start despite not being ready, independent of races. I think that's Mimi Coca. I think that's Kelly Wolf. Tim Tollefson. I mean, who, you know. who had niggles, who had injuries, who maybe didn't get as much training in as they had hoped because of managing that. And so it's one of those things where it's like, Tim said, I wasn't strong enough to not start. Yep. That was, I like got chills. Yeah. Isn't that a that. great point? I wasn't strong enough to not start. Yep. And that's and what he said when we picked him up in the car outside of Cormier. When I talked to him earlier in the week, it was clear to me that he was compromised. You know, he said he hasn't had a pain-free run since Western States and, you know, without betraying any confidences, it's, I was like, you know, why, why do it? You know? And I think for him, because it's UTMB. Yeah, it is because it's UTMB. It is the greatest race in the world. He gave it a valiant effort along with the other American men, Jim Walmsley and Tim Frerichs in particular, and again, the Americans just have such a hard time here on the men's side after getting so close in 2017 and 2016, Tim Tollefson being on the podium, both of those years, the last three years for us have been absolutely miserable on the men's 
side. Of course, Courtney DeWalter is the shining star of the Americans this year. Also, Katie Scheid, who lives here in France, finished, what was it, eighth overall in the yeah, women's field. Yeah, I think she was eighth or not. I think she was eighth in a very hard day for her. Obviously, she was top top five, I think, in her first go in 2019. We've also had Americans like Casey Licktig and Kat Bradley in the top 10 over the last three years or three, I guess, three editions of the race yeah. as well. So it's like the American women seem to figure it out. And it might just be because they tough it out through the attrition. Yeah. And if you can tough it out through the attrition, given that the last three editions of this race have been heavy, heavy attrition races, you can, you can make your way into that top 10. Yep. And so it's so true. It's so true. And I mean, like, look at Hannes Namberger. I mean, he's a, a great up and coming athlete, but he ran a smart race, you know, and he wasn't up in that front pack that we saw running through Les Uches and through Saint-Gervais at breakneck speed. He came through, finished sixth place, just got it done. And, uh, you know, a good young up and coming athlete gets around the mountain for the first time. We'll take that experience into future races and we'll do very well as a result, but it's a great example of not getting caught up in that front pack early in the men's race, making it around the mountain and finishing with a top six position as a result. So shout out to Hannes. Yeah. I mean, great we run from him. We went into this race being like, who's going to be the first American to win UTMB and our top American male instead was Luke J finishing in, in 34th yeah. position overall, which is, and you so know. our top three American finishers were Courtney DeWalter, then Luke J in 34th and then Katie Scheid. And I think 52nd. So, um, again, American men did not come to party this year. We've, uh, we haven't performed up to our standards at this race, uh, in, in a few years now. Um, and I think as you know, we've sort of matured, uh, as a, as a country, I think, you know, the competitive depth that we have in the U S there's no excuse for us to not be able to perform at this race. We didn't have a lot of, uh, our top runners here this year, really our top professional contingent on the men's side was Jim, Tim and Tim Frerichs who definitely are world-class on their own, but all three of them, I think came in a little bit compromised and weren't able to make it to the finish line. So anyway, we are, we are learning. I think, you know, Jim would be the first to admit that if he's got going to have a shot to win this race, which I think he will in his career, I think there's no doubt Jim Walmsley has the talent to win this race. He cannot do Western States earlier in the summer. It needs and deserves his full attention. And when he gives it that, I think Jim Walmsley will win this race at some point in his career. Um, and then I think the uh, last other thing I wanted to just mention here that's just been rattling in my brain is that I think, honestly, the Western States UTMB double is harder than the Hard Rock UTMB double. As counterintuitive as that may seem, because Hard Rock is such a hard race that takes the winner seven hours longer than the Western States winner. Uh, just the fact that it's more similar in terms of terrain and um climbing and descending where Western States is a very fast and hot race requires totally different preparation. I think that was reflected in the, uh, high attrition rate from those athletes who did run Western States and attempted to do the double. I can't think of a single person who managed to do it successfully this week. I mean, Emily Hoggood, I think was the only successful double with finishing seventh 
at Western States and then 10th. 10th here. Here. And what was she? Six hours behind. Six hours. Yeah, yeah, I think it was so six the hours. Women's, the women's top 10 was separated by six hours. A huge, a huge, a huge spread. Huge yeah, margin. it was six hours and six minutes yep. was the spread between Courtney in first and Emily Hoggood in 10th. So it's like that is, that's a lot of time. That's a big, that is not, a, I think, a, t- a traditional first to 10th spread yeah. in a race like this, uh, in a race of this caliber. And one thing that we should it shouldn't be It shouldn't be that widespread. You know? And the men's race was more narrow. The right. men's race was definitely more narrow. And I think one thing to add too is that we can get really caught up in our, in our American bubble and our American race scene. And yes, our top runners, when they do come to Europe, they can, they can and do and have historically, you know, things like Lavaredo have, have performed well. Mm-hmm. And the American women here have performed well. Um, we've seen great performances out of, at other distances this week as from the Americans more so than UTMB. And maybe that's just like the Western States CCC double is better, but I'm trying to think of the other top American performance this week, aside from Courtney DeWalter and Katie Scheid. And the only other thing that comes to my mind is Hayden Hawks, who finished fifth in the OCC under the previous course record time. So yeah, and then Abby Hall, I think. Uh, oh, Abby Hall, Abby of Hall, course, of course. In um, CCC, in running a, a super solid race. I think those were our top performances. Hayden, yes, finishing fifth, but under the course record, I think was really, really impressive. Um, yeah. So, t- so yeah. one of the other storylines that you sort of mentioned already, as we sort of transition away from the main UTMB race breakdown, is the dominance of the French all week. So we saw a French winner on the women's side of TDS. We saw two of the top three in OCC on the women's side were French. We saw Thibaut Garivier and Thibaut Baronian both on the podium of the men's race. Uh, in in CCC, and then of course we saw the top five men in UTMB, all Frenchmen, and Camille Bruyas, of course, finishing second on the women's side. The French, the French, the French. That is the story, I think, yeah, they of the three, professional fields this three week. Three in the top ten of UTMB as well. So they had, yeah. they ended up, I think, with over fifty percent of the of the combined top ten for men and women in in UTMB. But here, and, and maybe the French just have a dominance in the sport of ultra running. I think it's easy to think that, that I I think it's, we are here racing obviously through several countries, but I think it's easy to forget that this is a very global race. It is the best French men and women It is the best Spanish men and women, the Germans, the Italians, we've got Asian representation coming out of Japan and Hong Kong this week. So it's one of those things where it's, when we race in the U.S., yes, we have this dominance, but it's we are one big country. Yep. And I think when we come over to the European stage, yes, UTMB skews a little bit French in part because it is such a, a, a powerful race in the French culture, yep. but it is an international race. Yeah. It's not, it's a, you know, I think we, we can construe a country versus a continent. And this is a, this is not even a continental championship. This is an international global championship. And so we not only, I don't think we give it the respect it deserves in that sense. If it is going to be the international, the global championship, we have to treat it as such and really bring our A game and be careful with how our season lines up going into that. Let's hope this is finally our learning opportunity to where our best athletes will give this race the attention and respect that it deserves. I certainly hope to be back on the starting line here at UTMB at some point, and uh, that's definitely something that's going to be front of mind for me. Corinne, just a couple more sort of storylines that I wanted to sort of point out from earlier in the week. 
I just want to mention one athlete, Thibaut Garivier, the men's champion of CCC. I'm so impressed with this guy, 31 years old. He was second at CCC two years ago. He had just a beautiful finish line interview when he won this year where he devoted his victory to the Czech athlete who perished during the TDS. To me, he feels like the next Francois Dane. My prediction is Thibaut Garivier, the men's champion of CCC. In the next five years, he will win UTMB himself. He is sort of, as I said, the next Francois coming up through the ranks of the French athletes, having an incredible victory here at the CCC flawless execution, winning convincingly. Yeah, won convincingly. And he, and he said, you know, he dedicated his win to the fallen check runner because they were both 35. And it really, I think it hit close to home that that could be any of us. Um, I think sometimes when these when these incidents, when these tragedies happen, it's, it's easy to think it couldn't be you. And so I think that was a good, it was a good note to bring for him to say, hey, this is, this is all of us, this is any of us. Um, but his, his convincing win over Scotty Hawker and then his countryman in third was a really impressive race to watch. So one other thing, Corinne, before we sign off here, unless you have other things you want to talk about, we sort of spoke about this on air during our broadcast. But one of the unique things that was part of this year's UTMB is that the top two finishers are going to be awarded golden tickets to the Western States 100. Yes, we will yes, see yes, yes, yes. if Courtney or Francois accept those tickets. Uh, but certainly we would both love to see them back at Western States. But also... Uh, Aurelian Dunad Palaz on the men's side, earning a ticket to Western States. That would be his first running. Also, Camille Bruyas, both of them French. I'd love to see both of them come to the U.S. to race Western States. If not, those tickets will, of course, move down. If anyone in the top five, so the tickets can roll down right through fifth place. If any of those Frenchmen take the ticket, I am so excited. And then we were talking too, like, oh, will Courtney take it? We don't know. So if it, I mean, Camille, I hope, I so hope we get to see her over there, but if my not, feeling is that she would take it, but if not getting, getting Mimi Kotka on that line yeah. would not be sad about that. That would be great. That would be super. So yes, a bit like that's the first time this has ever happened. I'm sure they'll make a, maybe a deal about it during the awards ceremony later this afternoon oh. here in the Valley, but I am thrilled to see how the Western States start line starts to stack up as our Western, as our golden ticket races start ahead of the lottery for the first time ever this year. Yep. Corinne, it was so fun to work together again this week. <laughs> we had such a blast. Are you going to race next year or what? Yeah. How are we going to rock? I am racing next year. I am, I am on record now. <laughs> it, unless I get into hard rock, I am racing UTMB next year. Okay, this I'm, was such a fun I'm week. hoping you get into hard rock so that I can race UTMB next year. I think I will race something here yeah. next year, either CCC or UTMB. Um, I think it's kind of up to my team a little bit there. Yeah. We've got too many competitive women that yeah. will be taking the start line, but we'll, uh, we'll have the rock, paper, scissors for all the future races so that we can figure out how we talk about them and who yeah. gets to race what. Well, again, it was such a joy to work with you. My voice hurts. This is going to be a big come down after a, emotional but incredibly fun week high fives we did it thank you guys we all for it. listening we appreciate you being part of our live coverage we appreciate you listening to these podcasts as well for corinne malcolm i am dylan bowman we'll see you guys soon
Okay, thank you so much for listening. Appreciate you all so much for joining us here on the podcast and also in the live stream coverage all week. Thank you to Corinne for coming back on the pod. She is such a great partner to work with on these races and in these podcasts. And it was also really fun to hang with the great Keith Byrne all week. He was the third member of our broadcast team and the OG voice of the English channel at UTMB. Uh, So shout out to Keith Byrne. He's such a great guy. And if you enjoy the show, there are a few ways that you can support us. As I mentioned at the top, you can go subscribe to our Patreon or support us on Patreon. You can also subscribe to our training app by searching Pillars, P-Y-L-L-A-R-S in either app store. That is honestly the only way that we're going to continue to do this show in the medium to long term. And for those who did respond to my call for support a couple episodes ago, thank you. Thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts here. We do love and appreciate you so, so much. Uh, But if that is too much to ask, you can also go leave us a review in Apple Podcasts. I rarely ask you to do this, but it really does help to reach new listeners. listeners, So please do go leave us a review in Apple Podcasts if you can spare 60 seconds. Please also, if you don't mind, for those of you who do share these episodes on social media, I always love hearing from you. Always love hearing sort of what resonates and what direction you'd like to see the show go. So please continue to share with your friends and on social media and with, uh, you know, your training partners who you spend time with out on the trails. Until next time, everyone, we love you so much. Signing off from Chamonix, France. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.